Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Welcome back to Fraudology. If you've been listening for a while, you know that one of my favorite things about having this podcast is getting to talk to practitioners, the people who are fighting fraud on the ground. And it's really fun when I get to talk with two people who work together every day. I know that that's something that some of you have been asking for uh, over the last several months of we want to hear from teams or we want to hear from pairs of managers. And so uh, if that was you or if that's something fun, you are in for a treat. I have Rob McCall is back from Uphold and he brought along James Olden also from Uphold. Both of them really run the fraud operations and strategy for Uphold and so we'll and we'll get to learn all about that in just a minute. So welcome, you guys. Welcome to both of you to Fraudology. Thank you so much. Glad to be back. Good to be here. Yeah. So Rob, you were you know you were here before. Like I said, yeah, James. We wanted to make sure that he on too because you are you know such a humble leader that you've made it clear that you know you couldn't do everything that you've been able to accomplish without James and and all of his leadership. So it, you had told me it's only fair to bring him on as well. Yes, and uh, like you were saying, it's it's going to be I think it'll be a fun conversation because uh, James James and I definitely have an interesting fun dynamic that we've developed over the years. So yeah, it'll be good. I enjoy it for sure. And I know our listeners will too. I guess we'll just kind of dive in at first, you know, this is for either of you. Uh, can you provide, you know, kind of the elevator explanation of what type of company Uphold is, you know, the services and products that your that your company provides? Uphold primarily known for our offerings of crypto and helping customers discover crypto better. So, you know, we offer more than 260 cryptocurrencies and it's nice that our platform allows our customers to trade between those those currencies in one seamless trade as opposed to, to having to move things around. If you want to go from Bitcoin to XRP or whatever, it can all be done in one seamless trade. And obviously what really helps us, especially in this you know environment and in this space, we're fully reserved, never loaning out customers money and 100% percent transparent in that we publish our assets and liabilities in real time. So customers always know what's going on with, with their money. So that's kind of the main gist of Uphold. You know, we recently launched a couple even additional products that have helped with customers. So, you know, earlier this year we launched Topper, which is a, a fiat to crypto on-ramp. So allow customers to fund their wallets in, in basically a minute or less. So trying to ease that access into that. And then also we've just launched uh, last month, Vault, uh, which is assisted self-custody. So, you know, um, helping customers secure their funds with a more seamless experience. So trying to blend that experience for the customers. Wow. And, you know, I'm not going to name drop any of your, you know, competitors or former competitors, but I think the fact that you publish that and are very transparent and that you're able to do that has built a lot of trust in the market over the last several years. It has. Yes. That is something we definitely pride ourselves on. Well, and, and let's be honest, right? Like the backbone of trust is fraud prevention. It's preventing fraud internally and externally. And so I, I know that that's a big part of 
why you guys do what you do for who you do it for. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Rob, while you're chatting a little bit, I, you know, you were on Fraudology back in September of 2022. I really honestly didn't realize it was so long ago to talk about transitioning from e-commerce to crypto and, you know, a little about building trust with uh, senior leadership, but not as much as I think we're going to dive into today. What have you been working on at Uphold since then? Yeah, it's, uh, I didn't realize it was that long as well. But yeah, we've been doing a lot. Um, I think the biggest thing is expanding the fraud team. So at the tail end of, of 2022, and then all throughout last year, we've, we've, basically been able to to have dedicated engineers and a product manager to the fraud team and our fraud initiative specifically. So, you know, that was that's been huge in helping us make sure that we stay on top of trends, make sure we're agile and everything like that. Um, you know, recently have been able to hire, you know, a, a dedicated data analyst for improving processes, digging through, finding trends, all of that fun stuff. And then, you know, expanding the the daily ops portion of the fraud team. So, you know, doing all of that so that as a we can then support the company better, you know, as we're beefing up our account security for our customers. That's you know one of the big initiatives we we did all throughout last year, trying to reduce customer friction and and then just supporting those new products that you know we launched that I was I was mentioning and the more other products that are still to come in 2024. Right, the more that you build a foundation of you know fraud operations and strategy, the more opportunities your company can have to let on a little more risk. Exactly. That's the plan. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, James, welcome to Fraudology as your, you know, first time, long time, I know. Um, what is your, <laughs> did, I, did I take that? Sorry if I took that over you. Um, what is your role at Uphold and how did you end up there? What is my role? There's the official answer and there's the unofficial answer. The <laughs> official answer, uh, my title is the Fraud Prevention Manager. The unofficial answer, my role is make Rob look good, make sure he can take a nap and nobody notices he's gone. <laughs> I work my hardest, tend to succeed more often than not. How did I end up here? I actually got my start in fraud 10 plus years ago. And at HSN, I started working there. Rob became my fraud manager there. Uh, we eventually split, went our separate ways, and LinkedIn kind of led me back here, uh, working with Rob once again. So that's the that's the elevator pitch of, of my story. <laughs> well, and you guys have mentioned that you, you know, balance each other out and are a dynamic duo. How do you, James, how do you see that breakdown as far as you know, what Rob is good at and then what you're good at and how that balances each other out. Rob is really good at the at the bigger picture. Uh, Rob can see where things are now as well as where they can be a year and a half from now. Uh, and I am a lot better at the kind of the, the nitty gritty, like what is that instant focus? What needs to be resolved immediately? Uh, and that, that works because it means that we have visibility uh, kind of across the entire spectrum. Hmm. That's a really good way to put it. Uh, Rob, what would you add to that or... Maybe challenge. I'm kidding, um, but you know how. What would you add to that? Yeah, I would say you know we just you know how how we handle it. We just we just keep it simple when it comes to the daily ops of it. You know when he when he we were working on a plan to get him into this role. You know and, and we made it official. I kind of told him you know this the operations piece. I want you to own it. I want you to make the decisions on it. You know all you know obviously from a from an overall standpoint of how it plays into the total fraud strategy, you know, uh, we'll work together on that. But, you know, running the the day to day, I want you to to make all of those those decisions. And, and you know, so we obviously we make sure we, we stay in touch regularly. You know, we're, we're meeting on it daily and he sends me, you know, various 
you know, high level numbers. Yes. So we know how things are going, but you know, that that's the big thing is, is we kind of, you know, there's, there's the full trust um, that, you know, we, he knows what needs to get done and gets it done. So, you know, the only real rule that, that we've, that I've ever really said is just, Hey, make sure I'm not blindsided by anything. And he's done it, you know, does a great job with that of if there's, if there's an issue, just bubble it up. And uh, that way, you know, even if we're working on fixing it, if someone happens to ask, Hey, why, what's going on here? I can at least just say, we're working on it. Don't worry. It's under control. Well, you guys know this from talking to other people within the industry, and it really obviously depends on the type of company they are, you know, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's banking, fintech, I think you guys are probably more on the financial services side, but there is an e-commerce component in a way as well, but that sometimes the same person has to be responsible for fraud operations and fraud strategy. And that's a hat that I've had to wear uh, in the past, but I prefer to keep the strategy hat on as much as possible, but I'm grateful for people people like James who can run the day-to-day operations and you know the people management piece and the execution of the strategy those are just as if not more important than you know creating the map is the person who's you know following the map that's actually a, a that was a major problem that I, I saw Rob facing when I got to uphold is he was trying to wear all of the hats and it's a lot on his end that it was a lot. I've heard Rob tell stories about sitting for hours on end in the middle of the night trying to get things solved because he was trying to do it all. And I'm just I'm happy that I could help with it. Well, and it's important for you know someone to be having that big picture as well to be helping the business grow and and uh, be able to add on new features and really building trust with the market. That's no easy feat either. I agree 100%. And from, from what I've seen over the little over two years that I've been here, that truly is where, where Rob has excelled. Uh, through when we worked together previously, all I saw him in was in the, in the day-to-day operations. Uh, he, and I'm not just saying this because he's my boss. He shines at this, uh, the, the strategy piece of this. So what has been, you know, you both came from e-commerce and, you know, Rob and I talked about this more in the last time he was here, but just curious, you know, before moving on into kind of the main topic we're going to talk about today, what has been kind of the biggest learning lesson that each of you have had um, being in crypto and money movement over the last several years? That's a hard one. The biggest lesson for crypto is that a lot of people don't really understand what they're doing with their money. The scams that that occur, and and I know that that we're we're going to talk about that at some point. But the the scams that occur uh, within the crypto industry, and people just willingly shoveling their money into someone else's pocket, uh, it is it is painful. It's not something that it's not something that I had ever really experienced uh, prior to getting here. Uh, and you know, now at, at this point, there are times that I have to talk to people on on what is potentially the worst day of their lives, and they refuse to understand their part in it. That has to be really hard. And I would imagine that if they were talking about, you know, finances or financial, not instruments, but, you know, financial products that maybe they understood better, they would be more vigilant about the safety of their money. But because there is such uh, misnomers about crypto and also, you know, oftentimes people just see what they choose to want to see as far as, oh, there's a lot of crypto millionaires out there. So, okay, if I transition my money into crypto and somebody's promising that I'll become that, then that's what will happen. But if it was, you know, hey, give me access to your checking account, maybe they wouldn't be as willing. 
it really is. That's that's exactly what it is. Uh, too many people are willing. They'll they'll give away their their password. They'll give away their two FA code. They'll download TeamViewer or AnyDesk onto their computer and give somebody control of that. Uh, but yeah, if if I said to the same person, "Give me your your debit card and your PIN number," that absolutely not. Why would I do that? Right. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but the misunderstandings and miseducation of what crypto is and what it isn't absolutely plays a part in that. And Rob, how about for you? What has been kind of, you know, one of the biggest lessons or, or things you've observed in being in crypto over the last few years? Yeah, it's it's funny that mine's going to differ a bit because James's lesson is operational. Mine is more strategy, but it's not as, as simple of predicting the volumes like you have with like we have with e-commerce or, or others. So like, you know, okay, mm. there's season or, you know, this is when customers tend to have these shopping habits. This is more, it depends on the market at the time. So, you know, as far as trying to predict any kind of, of possible volume peaks, it's it's just trying to stay in tune to how the market is going. Is it more volatile? Is it, is it a bull market? You know, are we releasing certain new currencies that, you know, popular or, you know, there's, there's a lot of other factors at play that, that are driving um, our volume. So it, we've definitely learned that when we do have lulls and we have less volume, that's not necessarily where we take a breath. It's where we build back up and like, okay, now we have time to, to try and work on this other stuff that maybe we just hadn't had time while the volume was so crazy. So let's keep pushing forward, you know, have the, have the pedal down and, and, Make sure we get all these extra things so that we're ready. We're have we're even more prepared for the next time the volumes pick up. That's a really good point, and it doesn't surprise me at all that you know James's observation is operational and yours is more strategic. That's why we wanted to have both of you on together. I think it's a great representation of that, right? Your lessons are going to be based on what you're where you live and where you're observing the most. But I hadn't thought of it in that way, but I would imagine that it isn't as simple as just looking at last year's you know, numbers, right? Okay, what did we do the week after Thanksgiving in the US? Okay, we'll probably, if we're growing at a rate of 20%, we'll probably see 20% over or maybe 40%, you know, whatever it is, but we'll see you know more than we did last year. Or if we're the market, if, you know, shopping dollars are less, then we might see a little bit less. Um, but with crypto, especially, I mean, the market changes on a dime and and changes for a lot of reasons. It's not just, you can't just look at one factor and know what's going to happen in the market even the next day. Exactly. I imagine you guys have had some pretty crazy days over the last few years. <laughs> Hit or miss, but I would imagine that, you know, there's a few, right? Whether it's, and I'm literally just guessing here, but whether it's the day after the Super Bowl and there's been a lot of commercials about crypto or whether it's, you know, there's been a lot of headlines about other crypto, co- you know, I would imagine that that impacts you in some ways. It can be as simple as as a certain billionaire having a one specific tweet, um, like what happened several a few years ago, and generated months and months of, of volume based off of that. <laughs> I actually know someone whose entire job changed that day because of that tweet. <laughs> so that's another conversation. Well, there are probably a few of them, but one specific that was you know hired to build that for their company, and then woke up that morning Pacific time and realized, oh, I guess I'm not doing this project anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I can see how those things can happen. Well, shifting gears, you know, when I get a chance to catch up with you guys, there's a couple of things that I've really noticed. And what I like to do when having people on the podcast is, you know, talk to you guys about things that I've noticed that, you know, you're doing really well, that maybe other 
fraud fighters can learn from. Um, and one of those things that just, you know, continually really impresses me is how fraud and trust and safety risk, you know, all of those things that you guys go by in, in different capacities, how you have a seat at the table. Um, that's why Uphold has been so trustworthy, right? By so many consumers, uh, because you guys get a say in how things are done. You're not the last ones brought in and just told what's going to happen with the company, but you're often brought in at the beginning and you get to have a say. Um, and I think that that shows throughout the company in a lot of ways. And it's something that, you know, while it's a topic that I've talked to, you know, a handful of guests on the podcast about before. And I think there is more of a focus on, okay, it's not just their fault. Maybe there are things that I, as the leader of Frog, can do to try to get a seat at the table. I can't just expect one to be given to me. There's more than one way to do it. And there are still a lot of lessons to be learned. So that's really what I wanted to have you guys talk about um, on this first episode. And that is really establishing partnerships and then how those partnerships work. You know, Rob, starting with you when you first got to Uphold, did they understand the importance of fraud right away? And, and if not, how did you build trust? Yes and no. When I was brought in, there was no fraud prevention department. They, they realized that they had fraud and they needed to solve for it, but they didn't no one knew how, like it wasn't their, their forte. So that's what I was brought in, build this. We recognize that we, we need to do better at fraud prevention, you know, with our credit card payments and our ACH payments and all of this. So I at least, you know, was, was recognized as someone who's going to, to make it a, a, a difference, but I don't think they recognized how important it was. And it wasn't until, you know, I mean, I guess there was, you know, the big shift, you know, with the regulations, you know, the, all the, all the regulatory. So pretty much at Uphold, there was a massive investment um, in both, you know, fraud prevention and compliance um, to make sure that, that no matter what, you know, where we, where we serviced, whatever region, we had top-notch compliance and, and, and fraud prevention. So, so that definitely helped that they, there was already that reception. But as far as just building the trust, I've definitely learned over my career, it's, it's best just to, you know, because you're in the fraud prevention space, you're, you notoriously are the person who has, who's bearing bad news. So you have to be comfortable with that. And that's, you know, you're a bit of the Debbie Downer of the team of saying, hey, there's this that's happening. So sorry to ruin your day with this news. Or you're so excited about this product. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not as good as you think. Always get that yeah. joke, or or just someone looks like if I slack somebody and and they you know ask them like, hey, we need to chat about something real quick. They're always just like, oh God, what happened now? This is never. You never say this when it's like something good. But no, so so that's why when I do this, how I built the trust was having coming with the problem, but always with a solution, like saying, okay, this is this is what we're seeing. This is the amount of fraud. This is a new fraud ring or a vector that we need to solve for. And this is how we're going to do it. And then obviously making it happen is the big thing and and, and making sure it happened successfully. Um, so, you know, just over time, if you if you do that enough and, and stop the fraud and, and then can highlight, hey, we've lowered this fraud numbers. We're not seeing this anymore. We're not, and, and continuously have those, those, those communications, you know, just over time, everyone naturally is just like, okay, when Rob says this is what needs to happen, they normally fall in line. We build credibility. Exactly. <laughs> they fall in line. <laughs> <laughs> and is that true, James? No I'm kidding. <laughs> is that your perception? <laughs> Under advice of counsel, I'm going to plead the fifth. 
<laughs> if you're a regular listener of Fredology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but SPEC's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. SPEC lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of SPEC's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. I'm just giving Rob a hard time because you guys do have a pretty fun dynamic. But I, I can see how, you know, it, anyone who's been in front for a little while. And that's why I want to be like super honest about things, right? Because I've had conversations with people who are newer to fraud who are like, wow, I hear your guests and it sounds like everything's amazing and everybody listens to them all the time. And like, how, how do I get, well, I'm not as lucky, right? Like I just, I didn't get as good of a executive team as they did. And I think one of my goals is to say, well, you know, it's not always just about the executive team. It's about how you communicate with them. It's, and it's, about your patience level and you're they're not gonna believe you right away because you haven't built your credibility yet but when you're able to say okay i understand cause and effect very well if you put this into place this is what's going to happen if you put that into place that's what's going to happen and whether they listen to you or not you prove yourself right over time they tend to listen to you more. Has that been kind of your experience too, Rob? Yes. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah. The more you're able to show and follow through and get results, you know, that, that that's just not, and honestly, that's, that's, I mean, obviously for, for pretty much any industry or any position, you know, that that's going to be the case. So, I mean, to your initial point, like I, I definitely feel I have a bit of an advantage. I'm really blessed with the exec team and the leadership that we have here. I've had, I've never had this kind of buy-in and this kind of like, you know, just, you know, willingness to listen to everything like we have at Uphold. And I mean, I just think we have just that super culture in general where everybody is kind of listening and wanting to collaborate like that cross department collaboration is is there so that i mean that absolutely makes a difference right the the leadership that you have and and i'm sure that you know leadership looking at their competitors and seeing oh these guys didn't invest in this like we did or they didn't listen to you know these people or they didn't think compliance was important at all and didn't file a single SAR you know just like hypothetically if that happened somewhere so obviously we see why it's important because this is what not to do I mean they're able at least in your world they're able to see in real time what not to do but at the same time simultaneously you are also you know being consistent and you are are sharing the numbers and you are, you know, saying, Hey, this is what's going to happen if we do this, but we can do it. I'm not saying no, just know that I'm, I'm concerned about this, this or this. And then over time, oftentimes we prove ourselves right for good and for bad. I don't know how many times I've been called a fraud psychic by some of my clients. And I'm like, I wish I wasn't, but it's not psychic. It's not it's not pseudoscience, it's science, right? Like it's cause and effect. I know what's going to happen. Even if this is a brand new product with brand new things, like we just, we know human behavior very well and we know what's going to happen. But, you know, being consistent and providing data and, you know, building that credibility and then maintaining that credibility and not 
you know, being inconsistent with, you know, why did you not do that? Or, you know, ups, being upset or emotional or anything like that can often also just build that credibility of, okay, we know they're not going to say no, but they are going to give us advice. And, you know, we should have listened that other time. So we should probably listen this time. Well, and, you know, speaking of data, how, you know, is there kind of an example of a recent time that you did this? And, you know, how did you structure it with data? Last year, um, basically, we we needed to pitch a new a new provider. Yeah, that was it's kind of around our our credit card transactions where there was a shift with with you know we have three D secure in place and there were some changes with MCC codes and how basically we we're losing the liability shift that we had. So we wanted to you know we basically we we're, we're, we had friction in place and it wasn't benefiting us. You know we so you know and because three D secure isn't it isn't perfect. You know there's a lot of false positives that that come from that and and drop sales. So I'd looked around, tried to find, you know, various solutions, um, you know, kind of especially around the chargeback guarantee perspective and, you know, knew that just going straight to the team and saying, hey, we need to a new, you know, this new provider and, you know, that that just saying, hey, there's this new cost that we have associated and we want to start paying this when we're trying to look for all ways to reduce costs on, on various vendors and everything that just, you know, would automatically have been shot down. So I decided to take a separate approach of, you know, looking at where our sales were, were falling and basically ba- building a business case of how, while bringing on a new provider and having maybe to pay them could end up being um, a revenue driver because of the extra transactions that we would start approving um, and how high we would bring up our approval rate. You know, and, you know, even beyond just what your approval rate is, you know, you have better customer experience and, and, you know, so even if they ultimately call their bank and get a transaction to go through, you know, what, you know, that the experience is crap. So improving that and how, you know, quantifying how much we would improve that customer experience. So basically, built the case, not even saying it as this is what we're trying to add, basically just came into it saying, hey, I found this problem. This is what we need to solve for and just presented that. And then at the very end said, so this is a possible option for solving it and said that this is what it's going to be. This is the cost, but offsetting the cost would be this amount of revenue that would come instead. And it got approved. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's a really good point, right? Where you're not just saying, hey, there's this new thing and there's this new shiny object and this is the upside of it. It's saying, okay, let's take a step back and let's talk about what we have now, what's working, what's not working, uh, where are those areas of opportunity with what's not working right now? And then how can I put a spin on it that's positive? And it's not just about, you know, saving money. It's also about, hey, we will save money, but we'll also generate more revenue and take on more risk and acceptance rates will increase, which taking on more risk equals new customers and growth for your company. And so when you're able to use the terminology that you know your senior leadership and other cross-functional departments are using, when you're able to explain, well, what's wrong with what we have now, or maybe not what's wrong, but is that going to continue to scale? Right. If we're losing five percent, well, what's that? What's that scale going to be like in six months, in twelve months, etc.? Where are those areas of opportunity? And then what can we do instead? And what does that look like? And being able to provide that also with the experience of okay, Rob's come to us a few times with things like this, and it's you know evened out. What he said would happen has happened, and we've actually been able to take on more risk and and more customers and more growth. Then you know 
he's probably right. He's not saying that for everything. He's done his homework. We know that he's measured and calculated. He's not just, you know, blindsided by you know, a shiny object or, you know, fascinated by a shiny object, you know, and knowing that you're making the right uh, recommendation for the company and that over time, doing that enough times is what really, you know, gains that seat at the table. And then I imagine that when, you know, the business comes, when the business is considering a new line of business or a new product or new service, they're often coming to you at the beginning and saying, hey, this is what we're looking at. How can we, you know, how can we make this safer? How can we offer this while still protecting our customers and our bottom line? And having that two-way conversation is so important. And one that, you know, a lot of us, I think, get frustrated with if we don't have it right away when we start in a new department or a new role. It's like, well, I built all this credibility at my last company. <laughs> why didn't you, why don't you give it to me here? Um, at least I've, I've felt that frustration before. Uh, but it is that patience and that, you know, consistency that I think, you know, does win over over time. And it, you also mentioned something else a little bit ago that I just want to make sure that i didn't rule just gloss over and that is reminding them of how far you've come and say hey remember we put this you know, we implemented this thank you so much for the budget approval this is what's happened since then and and tracking it with the data yes that's that's the big thing and that's one of the the things that we're looking to enhance even more this year is just making sure we have that constant look back and eye of like reporting of hey we did this and this is the you know reminding them on a monthly basis with with you know our stats and our, our deck of you know this is the success that has taken place you know mm-hmm. it's something as a consultant that i have to remind myself or you know instruct my the teams that i'm working with to do as well right i need to justify the expense or just the risk of them taking you know bringing someone out of the blue into their company and and taking their advice, right? It's okay. Thanks for taking my advice. Look at how much that paid off. Um, and I don't usually say that in that way because I'm not full of myself. But I've had to learn that, you know, as a consultant, and I think you have to learn that, you know, is justifying your paycheck or justifying your hiring um, on a regular basis. Of okay, we did this, but I need to show you how far we've come from that, you know, and what has happened since. Uh, and you're not just coming to them when you need something, you're coming to them to give them updates on how those things went. And I think that's really a key too. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. That's uh, like Rob said, that that is absolutely something that it's something that we have done uh, to externally. So to like the leadership team internally on a weekly basis, we're looking back on, okay, what changes did we make? And what did that do? Okay, how can we continue tweaking that? Uh, but expanding that out and saying, hey, Here's what you allowed us to do, and here's what we did. Maybe you you loosen the reins a little bit more, and here's what we maybe we can go a little bit further and a little bit further. Uh, and it's really been about teaching, not teaching, but showing that we're we're not the revenue rejection department; we're the revenue protection department. Mm. Well, you know, I love that rephrasing. Sometimes I forget myself, right? I just think, oh, I'm in fraud. I'm like, no, we're in revenue protection. We're in revenue integrity. We're in revenue. You know, like we're not revenue rejection. Um, if we're doing our jobs right. Uh, so that's a really good point. And also you're, you know, you bring up a good point too, James, of you know, sharing it internally within your team so that your team knows what the, what the goal is and what the accomplishments are, right? Like the team needs to know, wow, we <laughs> sacrificed a couple of weekends there for that switch and it was a pain, but look at what came out of it. Yep. And that is, that is absolutely, that's something that I try to do, uh, with, with my entire team. Uh, every week it's, hey, here's, 
here's what we've done and here's kind of here's what we're doing uh, I really am an open book uh, so if there's something that I can share with with the rest of my team I absolutely do uh, it's none of this you know that information is solely for me or, or people above me mm. absolutely not uh, we're, we're all a part of, of one big team and if the information might be beneficial it should be shared so once at least once a week I gather my team together and we go over that uh, once a month we gather together as a kind of a, a broader team uh, and really dig into hey what did we do this month? What did we do the month prior to that? And where are we going? What are we looking forward to? What future improvements are we are we doing? And yeah, it, like I said, it's really about opening that up a little bit more and expanding some more of that information uh, to, to really the rest of the company. Well, and just, you know, focusing a little bit more on, you know, how you're communicating with your team. And that way, I was just thinking about how um, when I became a parent, it was important to me to parent differently uh, than the things that, were, you know, the way I was parented on the things that maybe, you know, I didn't like as much or I didn't think were as effective or didn't really... Uh, you know, weren't really consistent with the goals that I have for raising a human. Um, and I think that that's similar when you are a fraud analyst or you are a supervisor and you are reporting up to leadership versus when you become a leader. And one of those things you might learn is, hey, I didn't really feel like I knew what was going on in those other rooms. I didn't feel like I was a part of it. I felt, you know, like, the leadership just kind of did their own thing, closed doors, and we did our best to guess what we could do to make them look good or what was important, but we felt disconnected. And so, you know, would you say that part of your leadership style is is based on what you wanted to see, you know, um, as a leader? Yes, uh, that's that's actually exactly what it is. Rob and I worked together at a previous job and where Rob was, he, he was my fraud manager. And I'll tell everyone this, and Rob hates it when I say it, he is to this day the best manager I ever worked for. So I modeled a lot of my management style after Rob, which is I don't necessarily need to keep everything a secret from you. It's not, here's here's your focus, you know, stay in your silo. Absolutely not. Uh, that's, that's not really going to work. That's not going to benefit anybody and nobody's going to learn and grow out of that. So yeah, that's, that's exactly how I'm going to manage. Uh, and how I continue to manage my team, which is if I can share it with you, I'm going to because we're all in this together. I think it works well with your team because the reason someone should be on your team is if you trust them, you, you've, you've selected them because they're damn good at their job. So it's like you should want to share as much information with them as possible because you know, one person isn't always going to come up with every solution. So that's where it's best to like, okay, this is what we're, this is the the problem at hand that we're trying to work on and solve for. So everybody's kind of has, knows what the ultimate goal is and what we're striving for. They can all contribute in their, in their ways, um, you know, to, to helping the problem. And, and there's plenty of times where that, that problem, that solution um, is going to get solved by a suggestion from someone else. So it, it helps just to make sure everybody everybody kind of understands what's going on well and i think that leadership style and the inclusion and just giving your team autonomy also shows itself in the fact that there's not a lot of turnover right you've got happy employees because we know at least i can speak from my own experience that i didn't always leave a bad job i usually left bad management i also have someone that i you know still to this day called the best manager I ever had. And he doesn't like it either because he's also very humble. But that's what I usually tell him, well, that's what made you a good leader is that you didn't have to have the spotlight. You actually showed it on me too much. Like, you know, you 
said, no, that was Carice's idea. No, that was what Carice did. And sometimes I was like, no, but you can take credit because you hired me. <laughs> We'd like fight over who got the credit. And I have a feeling that that happened sometimes with you guys too. And and that's the sign of, you know, mutual respect, right? And, you know, a leader who isn't, isn't threatened by the people underneath them, they want them to grow and they want them to be better. Absolutely. Uh, not only does uh, does Rob get the credit for hiring me, but like I came in and I I really stood on the shoulders of the success of what Rob had built before I before I even got here. Uh, when I arrived, knowing all of the leadership team, knowing that hey, this guy was hired by Rob, he obviously knows what the hell he's talking about. Uh, so they they would listen to me when I would speak. Hmm. Was that and that was that new for you? I mean, not to not to knock any previous you know company, but just w- was that surprising to you at least for when you first got there that you didn't have to prove yourself as much because you know Rob had kind of done that for you. It was uh, so with a with previous employers. It's generally when I would start talking about about fraud stuff. Uh, it was you know somebody not in fraud. They said, "Shut up, kid. What are you talking about?" I'm going to tell you how it is because I'm the man. Uh, and that's, that's what would happen is they would talk. They would, and I'm, okay, well, I mean, it's, you're going to fail. And I could explain to you why, but you don't want, you don't want my advice. So I'll sit here, shut up and take notes. But no, once I, once I got to uphold, it was, it was a, a different experience. I know that Rob spoke about how great our, our leadership team is. And I, I would absolutely echo those sentiments. So within the first month of being here, uh, I got pulled into a call with, uh, our CEO and our COO and some various other people. And the only reason I even got pulled in is almost positive Rob was like on PTO or something. So <laughs> they're like, let's, let's go talk to this guy. And they asked me a question about fraud and I started answering it and I was waiting. I was just waiting for him to cut me off. Mm. And the whole time I was talking, I was waiting for him to cut me off and it never came they listened to what i was saying they asked a couple of questions they acknowledged it and we moved on from there uh and i I wasn't used to that i was i was absolutely blown away i will never speak anything but incredibly high of the the culture within uphold well and that speaks greatly right because there are things that just not everyone can know right whether you're the you know the head of fraud or you're the you know head of finance or you know technology or anything else we can't know all the things right and so just like how rob says there might be someone you know on your team james who comes up with a solution to a problem that you know maybe rob didn't think of at first well, same thing, right? And it sounds like you know you guys have great leadership who it doesn't have to come from them to be a good idea. And that that's something that depending on when you entered the job, you know, the, the tech world or just the types of companies you've worked for, uh, you might still be in that situation or you might not. But at least, you know, in my experience, when I first started, uh, whether it was because of my gender or not, I mean, I, I don't always know, but it sure felt like if, the idea came out of someone else's mouth, it was a good idea. But if it was the same one, and I said it, it wasn't. And so, you know, over time, it's good to see companies who aren't caring as much about the title, and they're just looking at the idea. And does that make sense? And does that suggestion make sense? And is that aligned with our culture and aligned with our goals as a company? Okay, let's do it. Absolutely. Uh, it, honestly, it doesn't even matter what department they're in. I've had great ideas come to me from from support. I've had great ideas come to me from compliance and our, our financial investigations unit. And it's it's because we have a culture where where we do we we intermingle, we communicate constantly. It's nonstop. I'm talking to the heads of other LOBs, uh, and, and you know we're addressing problems immediately rather than okay, well this isn't my problem, so I'm going to kick kick the can down the road and let them fix it. No, because it's it, eventually it's going to come back. 
Well, and I say that often that I think that the biggest exploitations when it comes to either compliance or fraud is because of gaps between, you know, silos, right? Whether the silo is internally in your department or it's, or it's between your department and another department, or if it's within another department, like that's, those are the silos that are going to be exploited. So if you're not having those silos, if you're all working together and and trying to make sure that there isn't a gap somewhere, then you're going to have a safer company for your customers too. And that's, that is the end goal. Well, and so, you know, James, it sounds like that there was, you know, a pretty good uh, foundation uh, set for you uh, as far as, you know, getting that seat at the table. But what advice do you have for people who, who want that, right? Who are listening to you and Robin who are like, oh, must be nice, but they aren't getting it yet. Job one's going to be, you have to know what the hell you're talking about. You can't just walk in and start spouting nonsense, essentially, and expect them to, to believe it because you're, you're dealing with highly intelligent people. They're in their role for a reason. So know what you're talking about. Uh, Rob has mentioned the, the need to have the data to back up what you're saying and not just the data to back up what you're saying, but the solution to a problem. Have it all ready. Uh, and just. Close it out. Uh, I know that Rob's a lot better at this than I am because I am incredibly long-winded uh, when I start talking. But uh, these are these are busy people, so shorten it up. Uh, make it keep it keep it very summarized. And I realize that I just did that on camera, and people can't see can't see my hands. <laughs> Welcome to being on a podcast. I know it's different than a webinar, huh? <laughs> they, they also couldn't see me shaking my head uh, as as hard as possible when you said how long-winded you were. So, um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone else missed it but me. <laughs> But I mean, I'm, I would be the pot calling the kettle black if I said that James was long winded. So I don't, I wasn't going to say a thing. Um, I think those are all. Uh, and then the, well, just one last piece that I would have is understand that uh, you're not, you're not going to be successful right away. So try, fail, try again, fail, try a third time. You're going to fail. Uh, so just keep trying. If you if you keep trying, eventually they're going to realize uh, the the benefit that you hold and that that your department holds uh, to the company as a whole. Uh, and that's that's really about the the best advice that I could give. There is uh, really it narrows down to be concise, know what the hell you're talking about, be patient, and keep trying. Those are all really good tips, Rob. What would you add to that? I think we kind of covered most everything. I mean, anything else for, sorry, I'm going back on the question. So was it the, the having a seat at the table? It was right before the, oh, cause of it, uh, you know, what advice do you have for people? Yeah. The benefits of being heard and respected. So it's under James, but just like, what advice do you have for people who want a seat at the table, but aren't getting it? Yeah. I think um, the biggest thing I can recommend for somebody, if, if they're, they want to seat at the table and they're not getting it, it's, don't get discouraged, you know, keep, keep trying because I've, you know, going back to, to other, even other jobs, you know, it's things shift, you know, um, people, people leave companies, people come to companies, roles change, people are always changing. So it's as long as you, if you feel what you're doing is, is correct, um, keep at it because eventually, eventually you'll, you'll get what you need. What I hear you saying there is that sometimes you can't control what is out of your control, right? And so sometimes, you know, if you spend all of your time just trying to influence other departments, that you might have to pivot. 
and just do as much as you can to influence what you can internally in your department and do everything you can. And even if getting that next tool is what would really change the game, well, anytime anyone, you know, in your leadership says, well, how come that isn't higher? Well, because we don't have that, you know, we've reached the limits of, of what we're using now, or we've, you know, this is where we're at, but we're doing the best we can with what we have, you know, what we would like to have is, is Y or Z, right? And so I think that's part of it too, is you influencing what you can have influence over and not giving up when the things, you know, when you're trying to have influence over decisions that you don't have control over and they're not being answered in the right, in the way that you, you know, want them to or need them to. Yeah. And, and I guess it's, you know, no matter what you're going to have, you're going to have someone that you're directly reporting to, I guess it's just be open and honest with your direct leader of, okay. You know, cause they ultimately should be your advocate, no matter what level you're at, they should be your av that, you know, your advocate in that role. So, okay, this is what we need. So at least have one person that is hearing you and hearing what the department's needs are. Well, and then just closing up on this topic. And I really um, am looking forward to, uh, the next time you guys are going to come on when we get to uh, talk about, you know, something that you've been able to put in place that a lot of companies wouldn't be able to without having that buy-in uh, that I think is just something that a lot of companies want to learn from. Um, but before closing out on today's topic, you know, beyond the obvious of gaining respect and being heard and, you know, earning internal promotions, as I know you both have, and, you know, getting fraud strategy approved, what are some of the added bonuses of, you know, doing the work to earn the respect of your senior leadership, as well as, you know, the people on your team um, and the rest of the business. Just makes it more enjoyable. I truly am online and, and doing work quite a bit. The thing is, it doesn't necessarily feel like work. And it's, you know, it definitely helps in that, again, I, I guess we probably have, have hit on it a, a few times, but you know, um, just being able to work in a company like this with work with people who all all truly give a damn and want things to succeed. And um, so it's, yeah, you know, just, I guess, just overall happiness and just enjoying, you know, it, not having to feel like a, a, you know, like you're working too much. You have that right work life balance. Or feel like you're Debbie Downer, right? Like the rest of your company isn't making you feel like you're Debbie Downer all the time. You don't walk into a room and they don't go, wah, wah. <laughs> Most of the time, anyway. <laughs> it, honestly, at, at this point now, it's they're, they're pulling us into the call. They're pulling us into the meeting. We're not, uh, we're, we're no longer begging for, like, we're, we're not asking for that. They're, hey, let's, let's find out what fraud has to say. Let's find out what fraud thinks about this. Uh, and it's, it is a, it is a great experience now. Uh, now that we've, we've built that trust, uh, we've been, you know, we've gained that respect, uh, and we've, we've proven ourselves is, is ultimately what it is, but that's, that's really where it has to start is you got to prove yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great place to end. And like I said, the next time you guys get a chance to stop by, we're going to uh, talk about a program that you were able to implement that uh, has really been responsible for not just saving your company money, but saving your customers a lot of money and or potential customers, you know, scam victims and just what you've been able to do that I don't know of any other company that has. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But, um, you know, before ending today's episode, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Keep going. 
that uh, that'd be the the best thing that I could that I can tell anybody else that's listening as well. We're we're fighting the good fight. Keep going. Really good advice because it can be very discouraging sometimes. You know? <laughs> I mean, especially with this time of year. Uh, just I know that we're we're recording this three days before Christmas. Uh, pretty much every, everyone in e-commerce right now uh, is done. <laughs> Yep. And then everyone that deals with chargebacks starting next month, they're going to be done. Yes. Yes. It's an exhausting time of year for people in e-com, but also in banking too, right? I mean, I uh, know of several people who have, you know, had their cards temporarily delayed because they were shopping too much and their bank was, you know, their banks have been a little bit more, a, a little, maybe I just know a lot of shoppers, but it wasn't me this time. Um, but, you know, their banks are being a little more cautious, right? So people on the issuing side are actually being really cautious as well. And so, um you know, there's everybody's exhausted by the end of the year usually. So that's a good point, James. Rob, do you have anything to add on that point? I guess just to the same point of, of James, but keep innovating. You know, always always looking for ways to solve the problem. I mean, with with fraud prevention, I guess there's no there's never one perfect way of, of doing it. You know, you can you can attack it for multiple ways. So get creative, um, especially if you don't have an abundance of resources or manpower or whatever. So, you know, you have to be, you know, super creative on that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There's never a time where, you know, any fraud leader that I know of is like, ah, oh, all right, we've, we've reached the pinnacle. Like we're good. There's nothing else that we can improve <laughs> upon. It's that constant, constant improve, you know, making constant improvements and, you know, constantly reporting on them and then showing, you know, what else can be done and all that. But it is that just the requirement of having to keep going and keep innovating and not settling, you know, but those of us who are drawn to this profession and who love it and, you know, who it almost feels like a calling less than a career, as cheesy as that might sound, like we don't want to stop. It's not, we're not ever, there's not a finish line that we're looking for. We're just wanting to continually improve. I find it funny that in, in typical fashion, Robin and I's answers to that question went operations and strategic. Yep, I agree. A hundred percent. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of that. And uh, whenever I have conversations with either of you or both of you at the same time, it's it's that way. And I think that it's not just a reflection of the jobs you do. It's of the way your brains work and the way that you attack the problems or attack the answers and the solutions. And both can and are right. And they're both needed. And I think your skills are so complementary that that's why it works so well for your company and for your teams. So good hire to the person that hired Rob and good hire to Rob for James and all the way down the chain because I know you guys have a great team <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> uh, I have a phenomenal team and I, I hope that they hear this. I'm going to beg your, court, or your editors to keep this in. Oh, as they will. My team kicks ass. <laughs> And they do. And I know you're right. And it's because they're, you know, their leader knows it, that they keep showing up every day to continue to kick ass. <laughs> well, thanks, you guys so much for your time today. And I will look forward to having you back soon. And um, we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Thanks, Grace. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.